Welcome to the second episode of the School of Athens podcast. I'm your co-host, the best subject today. I have my other co-host, Trevor Good. Last week, you heard from Caitlin and Camden. That was a great first episode. But today, you get the other half of the group. And today, as last week, Camden was uh, presenting on something and Kate had no idea what he was presenting on, Trevor is going to present on something. And I have no idea what the topic is. So, Trevor, welcome to the this new podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited for this project. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited because we've been on each other's podcasts, um, the mm-hmm. Good Talk and Cross and Catch podcast. But, yeah, being together on, on one episode of our own now co-hosted podcast is pretty cool. So, down to business. What is today's topic? So, today we're going to be talking about Euthyphro's Dilemma. Have you heard of that? No, I, okay. I have not. So All right. yeah, that's, a, that's a good pick. Okay, so he, here's the gist of it. This idea comes from Plato's dialogue uh, on Euthyphro. And Socrates is talking and he asks Euthyphro, is the pious loved by the gods because it is pious, or is it pious because it is loved by the gods? So what are your, what are your first impressions? Um... Okay, so let's get this straight. So you're asking if piety or someone pious? Like, are we talking about the, being pious or someone I think it's talking about morality. I think it is. Is okay. something good because the gods love it, or is it, or do the gods love it because it is good? Essentially, where is where does morality come from? Yeah. Well, Okay, I, I need I need like five seconds just to sit this right. <laughs> no, it, it's okay. it's really interesting to think about because, of course, as Christians, we mm-hmm. instantly have like, oh well, that's pretty obvious. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that obviously, as Christians, we would think that it's that it would be the gods like it because they are pious. Yes, is, is that one of the is that one of the options, or did I just completely get? I don't know. No, that. no, yeah, that that is one of the. It, it's either. Right. The idea is that is something good because the gods make it good or are the gods observing and observing, I think, is a little bit too passive, but enjoying and endorsing something because it is good. Yeah, no, I would would say it's the first one that something is good because the gods have made it good. Or if you want to go down the whole sort of depravity side, it's something is made by a good creator doesn't mean it's necessarily good itself but it has remnants of good in it Mm. so yeah i think i think that's what i would say yeah not not good anymore of course they were called good at their creation well that that is if we decide to go to the property i think we're opposites on that really well, I'm, I'm more the side of Armenian okay. theology. So, gotcha. yes, I think that it would go down the side of that because you're having, you know, a good God or a perfect being create something. And the moral standard has to come from the creator. Like the, the creator can't really create that moral standard. Yeah. Um, and like... I, th- I think it was Plato that points up in the School of Athens in the painting. Hey. So I think that I would agree with Plato in saying that things 
are good because of a heavenly version of them. Mm. And Aristotle was pointed down because he thought that things were good because they were made up of good, kind of. Gotcha. So, like, one teacher explained, like, you know, there's a chair because there's a heavenly chair type of thing. Right. Which, yeah. we don't necessarily believe there's a chair god, but, you know. Right, well, the idea of... Mythology. Yeah, the idea of the forms and that every chair is a subset or a, a a mutation of the ideal chair what the not the ideal chair but the idea of chair the the definition of chair what exactly a chair is and then everything else that we call a chair is just members of that category but they're slightly altered and all chairs are trying to reach that idea of a chair but yeah, I think that those are some really good points. Do you want to hear what Thomas Aquinas has to say about this? Dude, I was literally just looking up the five uh, proofs Aquinas has <laughs> for proving God because it reminded me of that. So okay. yeah, go, go so ahead. So Thomas Aquinas uh, talks about this in Summa Theologica, and it's this is some of the most convoluted reading. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it, it is was, so it hard to, to understand. Through. So bear with us. I'm not. I'm gonna try to read not too much. This is Article Eight, Question One Hundred, and Question One Hundred is the moral. It is the moral precepts of the old law. Okay, so that's kind of the topic. And then Article Eight is whether the precepts of the Decalogue are dispensable. The Decalogue being. Um, that's the Ten Commandments. Oh, okay, okay. So the moral precepts of the Ten Commandments are dispensable, and so. This is his answer. As stated above, precepts admit of dispensation when there occurs a particular case in which, if the letter of the law be observed, the intention of the lawgiver is frustrated. Now, the intention of every lawgiver is directed first and chiefly to the common good. Secondly, to the order of justice and virtue, whereby the common good is preserved and attained. If, therefore, there are by any precepts which contain the very preservation of the common good or the very order of justice and virtue, such precepts contain the intention of the lawgiver and therefore are dispensable or indispensable. Sorry. For instance, if in some community a law were enacted such as this, that no man should work for the destruction of the commonwealth or betray the state to its enemies or that no man should do anything unjust or evil. Such precepts would not admit of dispensation. But if other precepts were enacted, subordinate to the above and determining certain special modes of procedure, these latter precepts would admit of dispensation, insofar as the omission of these precepts in certain cases would not be prejudicial to the former precepts which contain the intention of the lawgiver. For instance, for the safeguarding of the commonwealth, it were enacted in some city that from each ward some men should keep watch as sentries in case of siege. Some might be dispensed from this account of some greater utility. Now, the precepts of the Decalogue contain the very intention of the lawgiver, who is God. For the precepts of the first table, which direct us to God, contain the very order to the common and final good, which is God. While the precepts of the second table contain the order of justice to be observed among men, that nothing undue be done to anyone, and that each one of us be given his due. For it is this sense that we take to the precepts of the Decalogue. Consequently, the precepts of the Decalogue admit of no dispensation whatsoever. Now, 
if you're like me and you understood basically zero of that, that's okay. Yeah, so no, that, that's an th- interesting reading. And what I got from it was basically it's just to follow God's law or invites to follow God's law because God's law ensures safety and justice in a way. And if you don't follow that, then you know, your, your society is practically like not going to protect mm-hmm. itself because you don't have people standing guard. Yeah. What's, I think what's really interesting, he's separating the first half of the Ten Commandments and the second half of the Ten Commandments, right? The first yeah. half of the Ten Commandments, he's likening to, right? Rule number one, don't do bad, don't break the rules. They are showing the, in, this is what you're talking about, showing the intention of the lawgiver, right? I don't mm-hmm. want you to do bad things. And so that's the rule. But yeah. those aren't real, like those rules are essentially not useless, but they are. They're rules. almost given. Right, they're given. And so they're simply stated to point out the intention. Yeah. But like, then don't the, kill, don't. Right. Yeah, don't steal, so it's just. Right, like the first law of the United States is don't attack the United States. But then the second half of the law, right, the second half of the Ten Commandments is mm-hmm. legitimate things. So like don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And so mm-hmm. comparatively in my analogy, right, the first rule of the United States, don't attack the United States. The second rule of the United States is, let's see, you can define what means, what is attack. You can, def- like, I don't know. It talks about sentries on the wall, so you can say, like, it is, it is a law that is a law that is legitimately protecting us yeah. rather than simply sitting. Now, this was kind of an introduction. I have one more reading okay. <laughs> for you guys from this. So the slaying of man is forbidden in the Decalogue insofar as it bears the character of something undue. For in this sense, the precept contains the very essence of justice. Human law cannot make it lawful for a man to be slain unduly, but it is not undue for evildoers or foes of the commonwealth to be slain. Hence, this is not contrary to the precept of the dialogue, and such a killing is no murder as forbidden by that precept. As Augustine observes, in like manner, when a man's property is taken from him, if it is due that he should lose it, this is not theft or robbery as forbidden by the Decalogue. Consequently, when the children of Israel, by God's command, took away the spoils of the Egyptians, this was not theft, since it was due to them by the sentence of God. Likewise, when Abraham consented to slay his son, he did not consent to murder, because his son was due to be slain by the command of God, who is Lord of life and death. For he it is who inflict the punishment of death on all men, both godly and ungodly, on account of the sin of our first parent. And if a man be the executor of this sentence by divine authority, he will be no murderer of any more than God would be. Again, O.C., by taking unto himself a wife of fornications or an adulterous woman, was not guilty either of adultery or fornication, because he took unto himself one who was commanded by God, who is the author and institution of marriage. Now... What what is that saying? Well, it's saying right that things that we might think are bad can be made good when commanded by God, because mm-hmm. God is the arbiter of righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. God can um, command you to do something like kill or steal, and that be good because God commands it. So that's kind of the one half of the Euthyphro dilemma. But then, but but I would say ahead. that like as Christians, we could kind of more. I wouldn't say justify, but kind of 
rationalize those things like you know God telling people to you know, destroy entire populations when they were entering Canaan, or you know for Abraham to almost kill his son. But I think for someone who's not a Christian, that would seem ridiculous. Say like, oh yeah, God is great. He's he's nice and everything. He's the epitome of righteousness, and then he tells people to commit atrocities. So I think that you have to you have to see why God is doing that, and that it's not just on a whim of like. Oh yeah, just kill all these people, and because I'm telling you, it's it's good. So it's like, right. you know, Hitler could have said, "Oh yeah, God told me to kill all the Jews, so I'm justified." But it's not like that. I think that it comes from understanding Old Testament law, and that's mm. usually where a lot of these stories come from. So I think understanding that Old Testament law and understanding kind of almost the Basically, the blood humanity had on its hands. Mm. So pretty much by... And because humanity had broken the covenant with God, God had the legal power to order people to do the things he did. Mm -hmm. But then in the New Testament, you know, you have Jesus coming into a completely different set of laws. I think understanding that change and difference rationalizes the, the orders a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, those are some really good thoughts. It's a really interesting thing to think about when you're talking about, especially about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's a very dicey situation. And depending on your theological camp, a lot of people have a lot of different views on that. So do you want to expound on that a little bit? Like talking about the, the change in the covenant yeah, I think uh, before we started recording, uh, we were talking about the inherent goodness of certain values in the world. And uh, one of them was, Ben mentioned, was justice. So as mm-hmm. we were planning for the podcast, we are talking about a couple of things. And I think that you, know, you have a good, a good idea there in that there are these inherently good attributes in in the world, but I don't think that they're separate, like they're a separate idea or a separate entity from God. And then going back to kind of the original question of, you know, whether morality comes from humans or God, I think that these objectively good traits of humanity or good ideas within humanity Mm. are not like separate of God. So basically you don't have like a God of wisdom or a God of the arts or something like that, like the Greeks do. You kind of have one God and right. each are like a character trait of him. I don't know if you want to That's really that, interesting. But... I, I think that it actually gets right back to the original question because when you talk about if there are things that are inherently good and you're talking about the source of morality right let's use justice right and i think this is what you were saying where like justice in itself is inherently good but the reason that it's inherently good is because it is a character 
trait of God. When you yeah. think about from the Christian perspective, uh, for those of you who aren't Christians, we believe that God created all things. He existed before all things existed. Mm-hmm. And therefore, all things stem from him aside from sin, but all, all good things. Yeah. And God, I think what you're saying, right, is God did not create justice. Justice is what we describe. God is just. And justice is the word that we use to describe the justness of God. And if you see what I'm trying to say, where it's like, it, it it's kind of semantics, but just mm-hmm. justice doesn't come from God. God is just. And because we are made in the image of God and because we live in a world that is ultimately under God's sovereignty, justice exists in the world. But that is simply the way that a, a earthly manifestation of that aspect of God's character that we have named justice. Yeah. And so... It cannot, it, it's not a concept. Justice isn't a concept. Justice isn't a thing. Justice, isn't a, justice is not an idea. Justice is a description of the character of God that we seek to emulate in our earthly societies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that I was just going through the, the five groups from Aquinas, and one of them was the second argument, the argument of first cause, which is basically, you know, nothing can't will it, nothing can will itself into existence. Right. So like if justice is not a person, it can't will itself into existence. Like you can't like like happiness. Happiness can't will itself into yeah. manifestation like someone needs to do something to become happy so like not necessarily like that happiness is like you need to constantly work for like like to laugh you need to watch something funny you need to see something funny happen there's an action done to create that laughter so justice can't you know will itself if there's nothing the creator has to already exist has that character trait for that to exist. Yeah. Well, to play the devil's advocate for a second, it's kind of what you're saying, right? Is that you're comparing justice to happiness in the sense that it cannot just exist. Mm-hmm. There, there was no, there was no nothing and then there was justice, right? There was yeah. no, right. Like there needs to be people in order for there to be justice. Okay. But would you say that would you say that justice is something that is outside of ourselves as humans right Do, are we work are we creating justice in our actions or is justice a sort of standard or a sense of not right and wrong but a sense of frankly justice that we in humans are trying to attain so whether we ourselves have justice or well it's kind of like we are chasing justice I think it's it's kind of like the the debate about whether or not math is uh discovered or created where okay. it's like are we as humans just writing numbers 
and calling it math and it happens to explain the world or we're just figuring out the world through trial and error and we're quantifying it using mathematics or is there a mathematical standard that exists in the universe to be discovered by us okay yeah so whether if we are creating justice by writing new laws or if the laws we write are just following the path of justice okay so i would say that there is a common standard for justice because obviously not all legal systems are the same like right a law here may like something legal here might be illegal in europe like you know in europe you could drink at 18 here Mm -hmm. you have to drink at 21 so obviously there's a slight difference in the legal system but there still is a standard of you know the age to drink so with that in mind i think that like how some mathematical proofs have been proven to be wrong, some laws have been proven to be unjust. So I think that there is a standard we are discovering, kind of, so that there is this common standard and then all these laws are either in line with it or not in line with it. And the ones that are not in line eventually get ruled out, something like with the civil rights movements, mm-hmm. you know, those were proven to be you know, just. And then I know there's certain proofs in Euclid's book that were proven to be false. So I think that you know, even though Euclid had a lot of good ideas, some of his rights, I think it's kind of more along the lines of math in the sense that we're discovering this okay. standard not proven. I think what you're saying is that but we're discovering the standard for justice in our attempts to create our own standard in the sense that while we're trying to determine as humanity what justice is, we're learning what it really is. Yeah, I would agree. So, you know, in going back to the Old Testament, you know, the standard of justice back then is not the standard of justice now. And even if you're going from Old Testament to New Testament. So in the New Testament, there's grace, and obviously there was grace in the Old Testament, but it's two different levels. So like in the Old Testament, for instance, it says to um, stone uh, homosexuals. But in the New Testament, there is this sense of grace and that law would not the law of stone homosexuals would not fly for right. the New Testament. Like, you know, we're not going to stone people because we mm-hmm. disagree with them. Um, we're going to you know, have a civil conversation. But I think that you see that now here is that kind of evolution of standard of, you know, finding, as you said, you know, as time progresses, we're finding this standard which is God's standard. It's not like, you know, food is right. like, oh, we're finding our standard. No, it's an external standard, not an internal standard. So I think that that's a really cool point where, yeah, you're talking about as humanity progresses, right? We are slowly uncovering mm-hmm. and God is slowly revealing to us what that 
justice standard is, but actually, I do. I kind of want to pose. I know that you've been kind of asking me a lot of questions. I want to ask okay. you a question, please. So, playing devil's advocate and kind of pivot from the the atheist or agnostic. Obviously, God created both the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So is the transition of law a contradiction, an evolution, or is it a manifestation of something else? Um, so I was, I, was, I was actually trying to get to this oh. when I was going to ask you. I pers- Yeah, I would, I would say neither of those options. It is the continuance of the same law, right? Christ says uh, while he's uh, in his ministry, right, he, he says – I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He said, mm-hmm. truly, truly, I say to you, not an iota will pass from the law until the day he comes back, essentially. So that's horrible paraphrasing. But what he's saying is that he's not coming to do away with the Old Testament law. That law has not been done away with, but it's 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 a really hard thing to talk about because it's very it's very confusing so i guess i guess going back to the original question of whether the laws come from god and man was that like the the old testament versus new testament is that a separate law that god made or is it as you said like a continuation like was that a just completely separate standard god created for the Old Testament and the New Testament, or is it the same standard? It's the same standard, and it's the same, but it has not been evolved necessarily, but it has been converted. Mm-hmm. Here's an analogy, right? If you have your, you're typing up your essay and you're using Word docs, you need to submit it in a PDF. So you yeah. export it as a PDF, and then you submit your PDF to your instructor. the essay is the same, whether it's in a Word file or a PDF file, Mm -hmm. but it has been shifted into a different format. And so here, the the way that you can know this is if you go and look back at the purpose of the laws. There were Mm -hmm. several laws that never changed. For example, no matter what covenant you're under, murder is not good, right? Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery etc. The enforcement of those laws did shift, and I'll get to that in a second, but there were a whole bunch of other laws that people will famously point out um, as, you know, contradictions, right? You know, don't wear linen mixed with cotton. You got to have seven, however many tassels on your belt, right? You can't eat lizards or pigs or any animals that are considered unclean. And what were the purpose of those laws? So to keep you clean, so to go through something. Yeah, yes, but the the reason that now there there of course you can say that God was making them do that to protect them from some sickness, like from pigs or chickens, uh, which is where swine and bird flu come from a lot of the time, and chicken pox and things like that. But on a on a broader picture level, right, it is to set Israel apart from the nations and Mm -hmm. God is doing the same thing and the law is doing the same thing today, but in a different way. Now Mm -hmm. Christians are no longer 
known apart from the world because they're circumcised or because they don't work on Saturdays, right? The Sabbath. They are set apart by, right? You will know my disciples by their love for one another. They're set apart Mm -hmm. by baptism and Mm -hmm. communion and their identity in Christ. And because there is that, that new identity in Christ, there is that new way of setting apart. The old ways are no longer necessary. And God has allowed them to be passed on. It's not that they are. So yes, the, the, the exact letters of the law are different. Mm -hmm. The law doesn't say don't eat pigs anymore, but the concept and the spirit of the law, the idea continues on just in a different format, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that being set apart is like part of it, if not all of it, but also like what required that change was it wasn't like, oh, overnight God said, oh yeah, okay, you could eat quarters and eat lizards if you want. Yeah, it was more of, you know, God coming down to earth in the form of Jesus. So that was what really required the change in law because of that action done by God. So he couldn't, he couldn't kill himself pretty much. Like, that's, like he, he sent you know, himself in the form of Jesus, his only son, mm-hmm. to die. So you know, that was his action to sacrifice himself. And, you know, Jesus couldn't die on the cross and nothing changed. Like, that that would be completely Pointless. stupid. Yeah. Something had to change. So it was that that version of representing God's followers. And, you know, as you said, like, the transition from uh, being circumcised to being baptized. And for us guys, I'm thankful for that. Um, <laughs> and from eating pork to doing communion and stuff like that. So it's like the... He, as you said, like the things, the items changed, but like that feeling, for lack of a better yeah. word, remained the same. Right. The the principles behind yeah. the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. Because if I had to give up chicken, oh my goodness, that yeah. would be. Oh man. I, I'd be going to hell right now because I. I know. Uh, I had ham on uh, for. Christmas party. So Jesus, I love your message, but yeah, those Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what can I say? Yeah, that's rough. So going to the question, the morality comes from humans and men. I think that humans are God. I think that we did a pretty good in-depth kind of explanation of like, you know, it comes from God. And also like that trans the transition. But why can't it come from man? Ah, see, there's the kicker. I so yeah. And, 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 okay, and I'll put I'll put this as a requirement. You can't answer using the Bible and Christianity. I can't answer using the Bible. Okay. Yeah. Um why can't just, morality just, come from man? Just just basically uh, I'm an, using logic. I'm an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that you have to define what morality is. If morality is defined as an objective standard, if it's an objective Mm -hmm. standard, 
then simply I would cite the ignorance of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. That can't come from humans because we are not objective creatures, right? You can see that in the fact that we disagree on the slightest of things. And if our standard for morality comes from humans, it's not, it is not objective and it is not lasting, right? It is simply whatever the most humans think is good at that exact time in that exact place with that exact population density. What yeah. that does, the problem with that is a lot of people will argue for this, but the problem with that is that basically says that Hitler was right because he was, he was the majority or the loudest speaker in Germany. Yeah. And slavery was right in the South because most people in the South thought that that was okay. But in the North, right, it was wrong because most people in the North thought it was wrong. And the only reason yeah. that slavery is wrong today is because the most, peop most people think that it's wrong yeah. today. Yeah, so kind of like that Rousseau, General Will type thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think that that is, I don't know, if that is reality, that's a sucky reality. And yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> Just uh, um, the, the French, oh yeah, you don't agree with me? Okay, yeah, get your head cut off by the field team. Exactly, yeah, no, it, it, it's just like what a world to live in where mm -hmm. any action is permissible as long as people decide that it's permissible. Yeah, um, and I would, uh, we were talking about this in, in omnibus secondary, primary and secondary, the two classes of omnibus. And I said that, I forgot exactly, I think we were on, on self-reliance by, uh, uh, or civil disobedience by Thoreau. Hmm. And it was... I said that, you know, atheists say that, oh, how can there be a good God if bad things happen? Well, I would just ask them, okay, so why do bad things happen? Oh, because there's bad people in the world. Okay, so why would communism work? Oh, because we all unite and we have each other's good and we're all very pure and perfect human beings. I'm like, oh, yeah. Do you see the contradiction right there? It's like, right. You say, oh, there's bad things in the world, and there's a lot of bad things in the world because there's bad people. Mm -hmm. Yes. But people are good and communism will work. Yes. Right. It's like, you know, that that contradiction. And obviously, if you're coming from you know a non-Christian point of view, you know, you don't necessarily have the answer to say that, okay, yeah, God is the, the standard, but you have the common sense to see that. It can't be humans because you get you get this contradiction. I guess now I haven't read Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche, whatever, however you pronounce his name. Yeah, but I Nietzsche think is that's I think that's how you would get to his conclusion of the religion. Uh, there has to be the super man in right. order to govern because I guess he saw that you know humans are unreliable, so there has to be. Uh, a perfect human, which right. I guess I guess it's Jesus in the form of God. Yeah, uh, and, and I think that that's exactly right. But that's that's the other half of it, where there is a moral objective standard that we cannot discover simply because there there is there's no way to, because we mm -hmm. are stopped by our own failure. Mm -hmm. Again, taking the the atheist approach, right? humans are flawed no atheist would say that we're perfect and mm -hmm. if they do they're dumb because just look <laughs> look around right i'm very flawed yeah. you're flawed everyone is mm -hmm. flawed i'm sorry listeners y'all are flawed and to deny that is insanity 
And so you have to acknowledge the flawed state of humans. And so I think that, right, it's very actually Christian um, mm-hmm. to attribute all of the bad things in the world to the flawed state of humans, because of course that's reality yeah. with total depravity. Mm-hmm. But because we are flawed, we cannot discover the objective moral code. Now, I think that I think that some of the objective moral code has been discovered mm-hmm. by humanity in the sense that, right? Killing is bad. It, it's doing killing bad. is bad, right? In every single society, really. Well, um, you know, without... Without bringing up the discussion of abortion. But, no, it's... Um, yeah, essentially, because humanity is flawed, we're unable to actually reach that state of dare I say, enlightenment, where we can know what objective morality is. And so I think that's probably the atheist arguments to why, yeah, it can't come from man. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's let's flip it back around. Um, Make an atheist argument as to why we can. Why could we find morality as humans? And it not, why, how could it come from humans? Okay. Now, before we do that, I did want to say something quickly about oh, Nietzsche and, and finding you know, humanity perfect, but not really. So Ricky Gervais did a skit where he was pretending to be Nietzsche and Hitler. And Hitler was like, oh, yeah, I loved your, I loved your book. And he's like, oh, Nietzsche's like, oh, really? what, what did you like? You know, the Ubermensche and Kill All the Jews. It's like, I didn't write that. It's like, <laughs> oh, I read in between the lines. It's like, I didn't write that. <laughs> so, you know, you have, and, and going like, going back to this quickly, it's like you have this, you know, humans can't be the perfect standard because even if you realize humans are, aren't the perfect standard, someone's going to take that and throw it out of proportion, which Hitler did. But yeah, so that out of the way. And for humans being the, the source of, of goodness, I think you would have to deny any, um, like, basically, you'd have to get racist you'd have to say that the people who are bad, not necessarily racist based on color, like by, by skin color, but maybe just racist based on how good you are. So you'd have to say that terrorists are a subhuman because they mm. are barbaric. They are bad. You have to say that criminals are a subhuman because they go against perfect society because they then, haven't yeah reached so the then you'd have state. to say that like you know a judge would be the perfect human because he's able to discern right and wrong so i think for for humans to have that moral standard there has to be classism or racism away against criminals and and supports you know people who create laws and stuff so I think that's, gotcha. that's one way you, you would do it. That's really interesting. I like that thought. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really have anything to say to that. I think that that's a great spot to end it um, yeah. with lots of discussion on the table mm-hmm. for that's our awesome. listeners at the dinner table, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. This is going to be a great project. So, Lucas, I appreciate uh, getting together to do this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Can't wait when, for next week. Well, that's all the time we have for today. 
I really hope you guys enjoyed this second installment of our new podcast, The School of Athens. We're going to try to put podcasts out weekly. If you have any topics that you want to talk about, feel free to send them in. You can DM them to us uh, at podcast underscore school of Athens on Instagram. That's podcast underscore S-C-H-O-O-L-O-F-A-T-H-E-N-S. Follow that Instagram page for updates about the episode. Yeah, send in questions. And then you can also email us. Email us at theschoolofathenspodcast at gmail.com. T-H-E-S-C-H-O-O-L-O-F-A-T-H-E-N-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. It's a very long, um, long email, but we'd love to hear from you. We love the community involvement and being able to get in touch with you guys so thank you very much and we will see you guys next week